0: Linda is here with me and she is a master Pilates teacher with over 30 years of experience. She has lived in Turks and Caicos and she has such an amazing story to tell. Welcome, Linda, to my show.
1: Thank you, Isabel.
0: So the first thing I want to ask you is, how did you get into Pilates?
1: Well, this is actually kind of a funny story. When I was in college as an undergraduate up at a State University of New York at Purchase. I started doing Pilates for exercise. Uh, The school had a dedicated Pilates studio because there was a huge dance department. You know, it's a big art school. And I was a philosophy major, by the way. (laughs) And I went to kind of see what, what it was. And I was in student government and I was responsible for the budget. And they were considered a partial student funded organization. So, you know, I partly went in to see what they were doing with their money. Um, And then I loved it. I just loved the Pilates. It made me feel good. My back didn't hurt. My knees stopped hurting. You know, I liked the balance of it. And I kept doing it. And when I moved to Philadelphia in 1988 (laughs) to go to graduate school, I found an ad in the newspaper Pilates instructors wanted part time and nobody else applied for the job, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but me. Um, and I was the only person, not only the only person to apply, but the only person who knew what Pilates was like. They, I guess I'd gotten some other phone calls, but it was people who had no idea what it was. And I got the job and ended up working with a fabulous uh, master teacher, Karen Carlson in Philadelphia, working alongside her and, you know, kind of mentoring with her for many, many years. And then I was, you know, lucky enough to have clients who wanted to open studios. And, and that's how I moved forward kind of in, in the Pilates trade. But it really all started at the studio at SUNY Purchase. With me just going in to see what it
0: was,
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know, graduate school um, was tough and I really needed something to do that wasn't academically oriented and I really just didn't want to work retail or waitress. So (laughs) I saw, you know, kind of moving more into kind of personal training and Pilates as me still teaching and still kind of teaching a complex system and helping people through problems um, but in a very different way, you know than in a classroom. And then, at the end of the day, I ended up leaving academia and going into Pilates full time.
0: That's really interesting. you know it's it's funny how we take some paths that we don't like we do something, and we don't know that's going to take us in 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 a long path towards wherever it is that we go um, yeah and it's fu- it's funny because you know I mentioned that nobody knew what Pilates was and this was back in the 80s right yes I remember the first time I heard about Pilates was back in the 90s and it was I think Madonna was doing Pilates yes. <laughs> that was the reason I heard about it like the first time was like Madonna does Pilates and I was like I don't know what that is but sounds like fun and I've actually never done Pilates
1: ah you should try it. it. It actually really is good for you <laughs> and fun all at the same time.
0: I've done yoga and uh, I've done CrossFit and I've done a bunch of different types of training, but never Pilates. It's, I, I have a friend who does Pilates and she also tells me the same thing. I definitely need to try it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the mat Pilates, you know, is pretty much all body weight exercises, um, you know, both working on strength and stability as well as flexibility. And, but once you, you know, can get back into a studio, <laughs> who knows when that will be. Um, and on the Pilates apparatus, I mean, he invented all of this equipment that uses springs for resistance. And it's really interesting.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. And you also told me uh, a long time ago when we were talking about having this conversation for a podcast that you specialize in helping women with back pain, neck pain, osteoporosis, or diastase, diastasis recti. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and everything that you, I mean, all of this is done through Pilates or is it a different technique? Pretty
1: much all Pilates. Um you know, it's, it's interesting when you look at the system of Pilates, because obviously Joe didn't make up every exercise, right? So (laughs) there's a lot of exercises that are, you know, relevantly similar to exercises that you might find in a weight room or, you know, calisthenics or in, in other situations. But what I do find is that Pilates itself, because of the focus, on the middle of the body as being kind of the central powerhouse of strength. Um, So that we're always working on the back and the sides and the front of the torso and the hips and the thighs that people get very strong and very stable very quickly. Um, There's a focus on breathing kind of inherent in the work. Um, And it does need to be modified, you know, for there's a lot of work on your back with your head curled up on the mat and on the equipment, and that stuff that's contraindicated for folks with diethesis recti and for folks with osteoporosis. But luckily enough, it's really easy to modify and adapt.
0: I definitely need to try it out now. <laughs> sounds, like, um, <laughs> it sounds like something that will benefit me, you know, and I've been having this pain in the back for like a week now, and I'm, I don't like taking meds for it, like pain meds. So. Right. I rather do like exercises and I've been doing like some yoga exercises and stretching, but it doesn't seem to be helping. So, yeah. So
1: when, you know, when I email you some more information, I am actually going to share a link with you for a free Pilates Fundamentals for Back Pain video that I have on YouTube.
0: Awesome. I will yeah (laughs) yeah totally that's great I'm going to leave that link in the description for my firecrackers for listening to this fabulous uh, conversation so they can also benefit from this and and so was it Pilates that took you all the way down to Turks and Caicos
1: it was yes it was it was kind of a, a whole combination of factors it was not kind of the best time um in my life yeah, um, I, I had left graduate school. Um, my husband and I were living in the suburbs of Philadelphia, you know, had the Pilates studio, you know, the house with the SUV and the, you know, the thing, <laughs> that whole kind of constructed life. And um, we were really not happy. We really weren't. And I had the opportunity to go to Turks and Caicos to teach some Pilates teacher training. Um, I actually had a client uh, in Philly who also lived in Turks and Caicos and her and her husband owned a few businesses there. She had a full Pilates studio at their house. And she, you know, they brought me over. I taught some Pilates teacher trainings. And while we were there, my husband and I both got job offers and let's just talk about one of the nice things about no kids
0: yes that you can uproot and move wherever you are <laughs> Is, in the if you world you get offers like that you can
1: take them <laughs> <laughs> yes and we did my husband was was there within 2 weeks mhm uh, seriously i mean we we you know stayed on we stayed on the island we finished up our trip we made the commitments we signed the contracts And he was back two weeks later. And then I took about another five or six weeks to just get everything in order, you know, and leave myself. Um, And then we spent two years living on the main island and I was working there. And then we moved over to Parrot Key, which is a Como Hotel. It's a, you know, private island, A-lift and spent four years there.
0: You know, I actually were having this conversation about Turks and Caicos right before we started recording. And I didn't tell you this, but that's like my dream destination. Like I've been eyeing vacations in Turks and Caicos for the longest time. Um, I haven't done it yet because I don't know what stopped. Nothing is stopping me, to be honest. Well, right now, COVID is stopping, is stopping me. Right, right. <laughs> but at this, I've been doing it for a long time. And I, I always feel because, you know, the Caribbean for me is just so dreamy in every single way of the world, of the word. Mm-hmm. Right? Like having those beautiful clear water beaches and the white sand. And it's just that life is just so. It, I mean, it's just everyone's taking it slow and nice and it's chill was it like yeah. that I am I imagining things
1: <laughs> you know it it is like that and but then there's there's things that go along with that, and you know these are things that you may experience where you are as you know you you show up to Buy a car from somebody or get your driver's license renewed and the printer's broken. Yeah. Right. And so that's not happening that day because the printer's broken. And, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Right. And then you're just kind of standing there like, all right, I have one day off (laughs) and I really need to deal with this. Um, The other thing is that as an expat, When you're working there, most folks are on six-day-a-week contracts. So um, for me, it was nice because teaching Pilates and fitness, I, you know, didn't have to work more than a certain number of hours a day because they didn't want me to burn out and not be able to pay, you know, full attention to guests who are paying a lot of money to be there. But Um, But for a lot of folks on the main island and working, you know, for kind of larger hotels and, you know, at different levels, you could pretty much be working a six day a week, eight to 10 hour a day job.
0: Wow, that's a lot of time.
1: Yeah. So there's, you know, times when it's really mellow, but, but, you know, when you're on the back end of it, those kind of busy holiday times when everybody's getting to kind of hang out and do their thing. Are the times when you know i would be at my most busy because i had a captive audience (laughs) right (laughs) and there it's kind of feast or famine you know it's not the steady weekly clientele like when i was on the main island i had the steady weekly clientele like i do here in new york Uh, but when i was at the resort um, it was more of either everyone's there or not so much
0: yeah i can imagine So you lived for how long in in total in Turks and Caicos?
1: Six years. Wow.
0: And then you decided to move back to the States?
1: Yeah, I was, um, well, my my parents were sick. And we just decided it was time to come back. And, you know, we moved back right into Manhattan. And now we're kind of looking at leaving again.
0: You know? (laughs) First thing that came to mind when he said we moved back to Manhattan was what a culture shock that must have been to move from this really dreamy, mellow island to Manhattan, right in the middle of the bustling hustle.
1: I was really overwhelmed and my husband laughed at me about this, but I remember the first time we came back and we had been over there for a solid two years, two and a half years before we took a trip back to the States. And I walked into, you know, basically like Garden of Eden or one of those, you know, smaller kind of grocery stores. And we just wanted olives. And I couldn't pick the olives because there was so much choice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it would be like you, you'd go to the IGA or, you know, there were basically two supermarkets, three supermarkets on the island, but two 2 were owned by the same company, right? And you got what you got. I mean, you know, there might be, you want to call them olives, there might be three brands, there might be one, there might be none. So suddenly when I was looking at this wall of like 20 brands, I couldn't, I just got him and I was like, you need to pick the olives. <laughs> Obviously I'm over that now. Um, ten years later.
0: But <laughs> Yeah. You readapt. That's totally yes. true. But I yeah, but I can imagine at the beginning it must have been really overwhelming, like you mentioned.
1: It was, definitely.
0: I do love Manhattan though. I love the hustle and the bustle, but I also like the beach to like vacation and as I was telling you as well before we started recording um, I miss the ocean I miss the waves I miss the smell of the salt I miss the sound of the seagulls like I miss all of that all the time especially now that I feel like I've been in my home for so long not being able to actually like do something fun but if I lived in an island uh, like we were saying I wouldn't on my days off be like okay I'm off to the beach maybe the first month but then it would get, um, you know, it would be like part of the scenery, right? It would be like part of just being there.
1: Yes. And so we, you know, we tried to always make sure to go walking at sunset to, you know, go snorkeling.
0: <laughs> I love that.
1: You know what I mean? To just make sure that we were kind of staying a little bit in touch with that.
0: yeah. Because it is quite important. Otherwise, six, a six-day week can get pretty, um, you know, if you're busy during six days and, and all this time, then you don't go out and like take some, some fresh air. It can get a little bit um, crowded as well.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, you know, for me, it was a little bit better. But I mean, my husband did private estates management there. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine when, you know, it was high season and every single homeowner was in with their guests, with their family, with their staff. It was a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. You're listening to The Honest Upward, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. And so now you're back in the States and you're thinking about leaving New York again and how cool is having that flexibility, huh?
1: Well yeah. I mean that's that's actually the great thing. I think I mean frankly, as and we've talked a little bit about this, but as somebody who is adopted, right? So I feel like I, I'm already kind of predisposed to the like not everybody wants kids. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Kind of mental state. Um, it's just the realization that, you know, not everybody has to have kids. And really, I don't think everybody should. Let's
0: talk a little bit about that. So, uh, you did tell me you were adopted. When, were you, when do you think you were conscious about the fact that you were decided to remain child-free?
1: You know, it was when I was in my late twenties and thirties, you know, I had severe endometriosis. Um, and adenomyosis, which just, you know, leads to a lot of pelvic pain, right? So endometriosis for people who don't know is an autoimmune disease. And it's where the lining of the uterus grows outside of the uterus. So any like pain and stuff that you would normally get during any point in your cycle, when that tissue, you know, does things and reacts, happens out of the organ where it's supposed to happen. So it causes a lot of pain and inflammation. And then adenomyosis is really where that tissue starts to grow into the walls of the uterus, just making it very painful. And my GYN at the time would always ask me, it was literally be his first question every time I came in, how do you feel about having kids? And it wasn't until the visit when I walked in and said, yeah, I'm good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no thanks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm good. That yeah. he was willing to really talk about the hysterectomy and the hysterectomy was what I needed.
0: Yeah. Because of your like condition. getting rid of
1: my ovaries and my uterus, got rid of all the pain, got rid of all the inflammation. I've pretty much been good ever since. Yeah. You know, I mean I've endometriosis is a gift that does keep on giving. There's stuff that you can get later, like, hypothy- you know, we're more likely to get hypothyroid. I'm hypothyroid. We're more likely to have high blood pressure. Guess what? <laughs> and even though, you know, I exercise and eat relatively well, I still have high blood pressure uh, from that. So, you know, as soon as I kind of made that decision, it was actually very freeing, but people kind of freaked out about it. I mean, I had to go for multiple opinions,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know, on whether I should be doing that. I had clients, you know, talking to me about, you know, not getting rid of the uterus or not getting rid of that. And and finally, I was just like, guys, (laughs) I've done my research, I know what I'm doing. And I'm glad that I did it.
0: And what was uh, the main concern that people would um, Expressed to you regarding this specific?
1: Story. Well what if you decide that you want to have children uh, and then uh, you're just gonna be really depressed about not doing it? And yeah. I was like, okay, number one, I'm adopted, so I know that's always an option, right? Sure. If I really really wanted to do that, but you know, quite frankly, my adoptive parents were mentally ill. Okay So I realized that my situation with my, mother could have been be- really bad as well but I don't you know who knows because <laughs> that wasn't any option but I was raised by a severely bipolar mother which was really not so much fun either mm-hmm. and it was and the adoption was done very privately when you could do that because she was diagnosed mm-hmm. as well then schizophrenic because bipolar didn't become a diagnosis until later on um, because she had been diagnosed mentally ill.
0: And And, I'm sorry. So what you're saying is that your adoptive mother was diagnosed as schizophrenic at the time. And even with that knowledge, the state, or I don't know who gives out the permits for this, but allowed to adopt.
1: Yes. Wow. Wow. Because that's how important culturally people think it is to get babies to people who want them. Yeah. Right. But, you know, I mean, obviously I'm okay and I'm still, I'm still here and it turned out fine, but it could have gone in a very different direction at multiple times in my life.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, And, and I always think like, you know, there's examples of people who, either by choice or not, are, are not really able to do that and do that well. I'm really able to take, I can take care of myself. I can take care of my husband. I, I can take care of our dog, who is like the most spoiled dog ever. Um, <laughs> I could take care of my clients and my friends, you know, but I don't know that I, I'm so, so fit and able to be raising a child.
0: So I, you know, I hear that all these factors kind of like came in together and sort of like, uh, it was like the, I mean, the endometriosis, um, plus the fact that you were adopted and, you know, your own experience and, and also what you just mentioned. So it was all of this, all of this, right. That kind of like came together and you were like, oh, maybe I don't want to have kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yes, and, and I've been very happy about that decision.
0: <laughs> that's the most important thing, because yes. the one thing we get told all the time is you're going to regret it. Um, and yes. I, I always tell people I rather regret not having children than regret having one. You know?
1: Right. Right. Yes. And you know, I think it's important for for women to know that, right? That that's that really is an okay decision. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And not only that it is an okay decision, but that, that, that it actually is a choice because you wouldn't believe the amount of people who don't know that having children is a choice. Like I'm, and oh, I'm, yeah. I've spoken to many child-free women and including myself, like they don't, I wasn't conscious about how that it was a choice until I was in my thirties. And thank God I didn't have children before um, because that was so liberating for me. And and, and so people are like, how, how could you not know? And it's so basic but I didn't. (laughs) I really didn't. Like I thought I had to have them like everyone else. Right.
1: Right. And you know, and I'm thrilled actually that pretty much everybody now, if they really want to raise a child are able now to adopt a child and do that.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, I've heard that. I don't know. I've never Done it. It's not my experience. Uh, I have heard that it it can be a little bit complicated or complex, you know, to go through the whole process of adoption. Um, but it, I mean, in the end, I think it's a lot more commendable for somebody to adopt a child than to bring another human being into this world. If that's not what they want, you know what I mean? Exactly. There's so many kids that need to be with good families that, you know, be loved and be taken care of and be safe.
1: Right. So, you know, it, it, I don't understand why people judge it.
0: (laughs) I know. (laughs) There is still a lot of stigma around that, right? Like, I, because there's many women who, you know, who are childless. So basically they, they want to have children and they can't, maybe for, Uh, medical reasons you know um, like yours for example the the endometriosis Mm -hmm. and and so they and they and then when they are asked about the adoption some of them will say that's not an option like they really want to have their own biological child they I think they want to really want to go through the experience of being pregnant and giving birth Um, so I don't know if it is more about that experience and less about the kid.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've I've wondered that too. And and frankly, I haven't been interested in either.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're child-free for sure. <laughs> you know, I have a, a very close relative. She has endometriosis. She had, she has, no, she has. That's not, it's not something that you can cure, right? Um, and she was told by the doctors that she could never have children. Um, and she's always wanted to be a mom. She's the kind of girl that she grew up, you know, dreaming about being a mom. Um, and then one fine day, she was pregnant, like just out of the blue. And now she's a mother of two. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, I mean, even though she had endometriosis, now she's a mother of two. Right. But it's true that, that, you know, her health in regards to her womb has just gotten a lot worse with the passing of time, basically.
1: Right. And, you know, it's, it's always been funny to me because for a long time in my Pilates career, I've really, I've worked with a lot of pregnant women. I've done a lot of prenatal Pilates and a lot of training for diastasis recti, you know, postnatal Pilates. And I actually had, have had several clients that came in to do Pilates to help them get pregnant where they had started going to, you know, traditional Chinese medicine doctors um, and acupuncturists in their, you know, search for a way. And they were all told, you need to go do something like Pilates because we need to get some heat, heat in the oven.
0: Wow. Does that (laughs) that work?
1: (laughs) It did work. It did work for at least two of them. Seriously.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yes, so I've some I you know I've gotten to kind of bear witness to a lot of it
0: <laughs> of course,
1: <laughs> which is great
0: yeah. When, yeah when it's not your own experience I guess you I, mean, I
1: enjoy other people's they're, exactly. they're fine It's a different yeah.
0: perspective completely different totally. perspective and and so I would like to ask you a little bit about the hysterectomy because okay um in the childhood community, there are a lot of women who are, Pursuing voluntary sterilization uh, surgeries. So I myself had a, a tubal ligation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've known women who have gotten salpingectomies. I think they're called when they actually like take the two fallopian tubes and just like take them out of the body completely. Right. Yeah. Extract them out of the body completely. Um, and there are some who have actually pursued a hysterectomy. So I just want to ask you what your experience was with that surgery.
1: You know, it, it's, it's not a surgery that I would undertake lightly. Um, for me, I've got very narrow pelvic bones, so they actually had to do it abdominally. They couldn't do it vaginally, you know, which just made it a little more intense. Um, there's a whole lot of, especially if you're having tubes and ovaries, removed there's a whole lot of hormonal disruption that happens and then you're dealing with early menopause uh possible greater risks of heart disease and osteoporosis later on as a result of that it, you know so there's a lot that goes along with that that say wouldn't go along with what you have done you know so i i would i guess i would be more cautious mm-hmm at it. I mean, I did it because I was in horrible pain for, for, you know, 15 years of my life and knew that I didn't want that anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah. You did it because you needed it medically. right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, w- wasn't sad about the, that side effect of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you about the side effects because d- did they leave your ovaries? I'm sorry. Is this such a no, I had question? them.
1: <laughs> no, no. I had them take everything. Okay, because your because your ovaries are what produces most of your estrogen,
0: uh-huh.
1: and endometriosis is an estrogen um, fueled illness. Okay, and I so I really felt like the estrogen I was producing was a problem. You know, there's all kinds of theories about that. They've linked some of it to dioxins, to PCBs, to different medications. You know. Um, there's a whole host of environmental reasons why but I decided to do that but that meant that you know I went into very early menopause so I was on hormone replacement for a number of years and I had issues from that then I switched over to bioidentical hormone replacement and a couple of years ago I went off hormone replacement altogether so we're just paying a lot of attention to make sure my bone, dens- you know, my bone density stays okay. And
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything that has to do with hormones is just really delicate, isn't it? It's a, it's like a balance that has to be achieved somehow. And sometimes you can't, your body can't, the meds you're right. getting, like don't do you, you know, my, my mother, oh, she's, she was, she actually got a hysterectomy as well. Um, not for medical, reasons. I think she was, was because that's it, that's done, I'm going to just close the fact, the baby factory after she had my sister. And, right. and she had been in hormone replacement uh, therapy for a very long time. And she's had, she has a lot of sequels from that, Like I can see them now. So it's, it's tough. Oh, no, oh no, on the body of somebody who has a uterus. It's really hard.
1: Yeah. So that's why, you know, I, I wouldn't go with that. As my, as my first option.
0: <laughs> Not for all in sterilization.
1: <laughs> Right. sterilization. Like, right. There's much, much less invasive options that give you the same effect.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, yeah. and so regarding, you know, circling back to the child for your life, what is it, I know that you love the fact that you can like just pick up and move somewhere else, but what else do you love about it?
1: just kind of, you know, everything, not, not having to worry about schools and, you know, (laughs) just everything. I feel like there's so much in life that needs attention and care and focus. And, you know, I, I have it to give to, you know, the people around me. And I, I've just never felt that deep need. That's,
0: I love it because I think that most child women will relate to that. Um, but did you get, I mean, this is something that I also like to ask my guests. Did you get a lot of pressure from people who maybe weren't so aware of your um, endometriosis?
1: Yes. Oh yeah. And then, you know, you just reach a point where you're just like, just shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not an idiot. You know, (laughs) I don't make these decisions lightly. (laughs) I go to trained medical professionals who are good at what they do. No one makes this decision lightly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I can't imagine, I mean, just because we do get, a lot of criticism right from people from even from strangers who have absolutely no idea about you know our lives or our medical history or anything and I just find that I don't know why people think they're entitled to ask anyone when is it that you're going to have children or are you going to regret not having children
1: right right like strangers
0: yeah perfect strangers <laughs> But also family, and friends, and peers—like we get it from all, all sides. So, you know, the whole idea of talking about this subject is also trying to normalize it, like just normalize people not wanting to have children,
1: right? Like, and understand happened. that if we all had one, there would be way too many.
0: We're already way, way too many. many of
1: us. Yeah, like <laughs> the planet could not sustain that. <laughs> this whole system is set up for the fact that some people don't want kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We are already way too many. We don't need a lot lot more of us. Uh, Right. Because it's already, I mean, we're already seeing the devastating effects of, you know, having so many people on this planet. I was telling you before we started recording that it's been raining cats and dogs in Colombia where I am. And basically all the months, so January, February and March are three months in which... Cali, where I live, is super dry, super hot. And when I'm talking hot, is hot, is 90s, really hot. And it's been raining nonstop for the past month. And that's not normal. So global warming right. is honestly affecting us all.
1: Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like here, we're having, you know, it was 40 degrees two days ago. It's now like 60. It's going to be 70 tomorrow. And then it's going back down to 40 mm-hmm. on Saturday.
0: It's crazy yeah it's absolutely insane I think more people need to be more conscious of that I don't know if people really don't care or people really don't know right I never know if it's ignorance or just I don't care you know fuck it right (laughs) it's sad well Linda it's been such a pleasure having you in my show thank you so much again for coming um (laughs) before I let you go Is there anything else you would like to add to the interview? Anything at all?
1: Um, No, I just, you know, I think people should, you know, all women should just understand that they can make the choice of what they want to do with their lives and that what they choose is okay.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: And that other people's wants for them don't have to be their wants. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I love that. Thank you so much. And to my firecrackers who are listening to this episode, I will leave you Linda's uh, contact, I mean, her website and all of her social media uh, down in the description below. So you can click and go and follow her. And if you're in the New York area, maybe if you're interested in taking a Pilates class, is your studio open? No, but I teach by Zoom. Oh, so people can work with me online. So you can be anywhere in the world <laughs> and, anywhere. and if you want to, you know, try Pilates because I'm definitely going to try Pilates. Yeah. Um, you can contact Linda so she can give you a zoom, a class through zoom. That'd be awesome. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the honest uproar, a podcast where modern child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.